We are continuing on through our study in the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 10 of the book of Romans this morning. And I'll read verses 8 through 13 of the chapter. You know, it's interesting. A verse I think of a lot in the scriptures that says, Jesus came in grace and truth. And both are so important. There is His amazing grace that we can't fully grasp, we can't understand, because we don't deserve His blessings, and yet He's poured it all out to us. That's grace. But yet there's truth, and and, and the truth is the truth, and you have to live by the truth, and you have to trust the truth, and and it's the truth that sets you free. And, And so there's this balance between grace and truth. And it's interesting, as we talk about balance, last week, as we looked at Romans chapter 9, we looked at the sovereignty of God, how He is in complete control, how He is the one that calls the shots. And now the balance comes in chapter 10 as we look at the responsibility of man. That once He reveals, we have a responsibility to receive His revelation. And that's what we're looking at this morning. I... Instead of reading all 21 verses, let's start at verse 8, Romans chapter 10, and read through verse 15. So I encourage you to stand in God's honor. So read from His Word. But what does it say? The Word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord... And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Let's pray. Master, we come to you, Lord. I thank you for that good news that there came a day when your revelation made sense. And Father, what was revealed to my heart was received. Lord, as we look at your word this morning, it is only because of your revelation. It is only due to what you reveal. It is only due to you, Lord, all that we have, all that is. Uh, Father, you're king. You're in control. But we do have to respond. And fathers, we look at your word this morning. May we just ask ourselves that question. What have I done with what I've learned about God? And I I pray, Father, we'd, we'd look at your truth and, Lord, just ask that question. Guide us, lead us. As always, we are in desperate need of you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week, as we looked at some key principles of God being the one who is in control, this week we look at the other end. We look at the importance of our response before Him. And, um, 
I came back, it made me think of David. Remember King David? And it says he is a man after God's own heart, and yet, boy, did he mess up. Uh, He was a who's who of not what to do as we look through the Scriptures. And he, he went on for over a year trying to hide, trying to hide his sin, trying trying not to listen to to God's voice and and, and God's leading and and what God was sharing with him. And in Psalm 51, uh, we read about what happened after a prophet that God sent by the name of Nathan came into David's presence and told us a story about a a baby lamb and how that baby lamb was taken away from from the owner and and how it broke the heart of the owner and, and, and then how David was connected to one who would, who would steal what is precious. And, and his sins, it, well, it came to light. And so he was broken. And thus Psalm 51. I just want to read the first five verses. Listen to, this is where David was as the revelation of God was received. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. And he realizes he needs mercy. He's been nailed with the state of his sin. He says, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. He can't rest. He can't sleep. It's a constant burden, a constant worry. And notice who he says it's against. Verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned. And done what is right in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak. And justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. David came face to face with his condition. As as God shared his heart with David. And he responded. He came clean before God. He was honest. Before God, he basically said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. We live in an age where, uh, and I guess mankind's always had some of this. Let's blame it on somebody else. It goes all the way back to the garden, doesn't it? (laughs) Notice what Adam said when he was nailed by God with the fact that he had disobeyed God. He said, it's the woman's fault. And what did Eve say? It's the serpent's fault. Pass the blame. You know, it's it's someone else. But when God begins to work, when He reveals that He is in charge, that He is king, that He is holy, that He is set apart, we have to come face to face with where we are. We have to come face to face to the truth about ourselves. And Romans 10, as Paul, he, he shares this burden, how those he loves, how those he grew up with, how those he studied... Uh, to be a Pharisee with, those he respected, those he loved, they were without Christ. And he's thought about their state. But then he also remembers that God's not a God that wants to condemn. He sent Jesus in order to set things right and to save. And and so he wants those people to, to respond to his truth. You know, as I, I just take a few minutes, have some fun with... As we think about those who want to dodge the bullet, who want to pass the blame, some of the great examples of this are in insurance claims. And I found this one website. It had the hundred craziest insurance claims that were filed. And 
Don't worry, I'm not going to read a hundred, but I picked some of these. I want to share them with you. It's what people actually wrote in uh, to file their insurance claim for their car. A lamppost bumped into my car, damaging it in two places. Never seen a lamppost move. Uh, A pedestrian hit me and went under my car. A truck backed through my windshield into my wife's face. Coming home, I drove into the wrong house and collided with a tree I haven't got. (laughs) Cow wandered into my car. I was afterwards informed that the cow was half-witted. I collided with a stationary tree. That's not enough. I collided with a stationary truck coming the other way. I consider that neither vehicle was to blame, but if either were to blame, it was the other one. I didn't think the speed limit applied after midnight. Okay. I had been driving for 40 years when I fell asleep at the wheel and had an accident. Well, it's no wonder. (laughs) I pulled away from the side of the road, glanced at my mother-in-law, and headed over the embankment. Don't want to open that up. I pulled into a lay-by with smoke coming from under the hood. I realized the car was on fire, so took my dog and smothered it with a blanket. I was on the way to the doctor with rear end trouble when my universal joint gave way, causing me to have an accident. Mr. X is in the hospital and says I can use his car and take his wife while he's in there. What shall I do about it? (laughs) My car was legally parked as it backed into another vehicle. The bloke was all over the road. I had to swerve a number of times before I hit him. The car in front hit the pedestrian, but he got up, so I hit him again. The pedestrian ran for the pavement, but I got him. (laughs) You see, we may be the clay, and God may be the potter, but that does not excuse us to blame Him for our wrongs. What we need to do is to see our state and turn to Him. (laughs) Hey, if I do wrong, if you do wrong, it's my fault. It's, It's your fault, the one who did the wrong If you choose what's right, there's blessings. If you choose what's wrong, there's consequences. If you die without Christ, you will not be prayed out of it. You're doomed. That's what the Scripture teaches. That we are each responsible for the truth that we hear. Let's look at our outline. Let's look at some principles. Notice first here in verse 8. The gospel is within reach of all. As Paul thinks about those he loves that are without Christ, he comes to this wonderful truth that the gospel is in reach of all people. Not just a few, not just a select. God loves everybody. Verse 8, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. Paul says that there is a God that doesn't build barriers, but builds bridges. There is a God whose whose love is 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 it's so strong that that it, it it doesn't see the barriers, but He sent Jesus so a bridge might be formed to reach out to all people. Um, next, the, which goes with that, the gospel is offered to all. Look at verses eleven and thirteen. As the Scripture says, anyone who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. And in verse thirteen, for Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He doesn't put any stipulations. Anyone, everyone, those are inclusive words. God's 
Love is, is, is open to everybody. That is a, that, that is a heart of God. Um, turn me to a verse. Those who say, well, you know, that person's just so wicked, and, you know, God didn't die for them. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. There's an interesting verse here in Scripture. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive hearsays, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Man, these are some guys (laughs) that are not open to the truth. They're fighting against God. Notice how he describes them, false prophets, false teachers, secretly. Man, they're doing con jobs. They're they're wicked in the way that they introduce destructive heresies, trying to turn people away from the truth. And they even deny the sovereign Lord. And the result of that will be swift destruction. But I can't get away from that phrase, the sovereign Lord who bought them. You see, it says right there that even those who seem so far from God, so close to God, so unwilling to respond to God, He bought them, which means He died on the cross for them. He didn't leave them out. That's the heart of God. I don't care how far you think someone is from God, they're not too far away. God is near. Calvary is for all. All right, next one here. The gospel though, is not accepted by all. Look at verse 16 of our text. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That's actually quoted from Psalm 53, which is an amazing chapter of Scripture, by the way. It was written 700 years before Jesus walked in human form among people. And yet, as you read Isaiah 53, it's pretty obvious to us that it's talking about Jesus. Written 700 years ago, but so clearly speaks of Him. Talking about being despised, being rejected, being pierced for our transgressions. that, That our iniquity was laid upon Him. And yet that starts out and it says, Who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Speaking of the fact that there are those who didn't believe. There are those that do turn away. And our job um, is not to try to coerce and force people because it's the Holy Spirit that opens eyes and it's the Holy Spirit that opens hearts. Our job is to lovingly communicate the message so that they hear the message. So that they're exposed to the message. It's not to try to force them. You don't argue people into heaven. No one's ever come and said, I just want to tell you my testimony. I was put in a room with a bunch of Christians and they yelled at me and screamed at me and told me what a jerk I was and I, and there was no hope for me and I was blankety blank and therefore I just felt so good about it I gave my heart to Jesus. Ah. That's not the way that it works. 1 Peter 3.15. Some of you guys know it. It starts out, it says, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. And this is where it starts out. It says, you need to set apart Jesus 
as your boss, as a God that you listen to. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Then it says, anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, be prepared. Always be prepared to give a reason for that hope you have. But then it ends, it says, the last part of the verse, but do this with gentleness and respect. Don't browbeat somebody into the kingdom of God. (laughs) That's not the goal. The goal is to share the truth of God clearly, but not out of anger, out of brokenness, because that person needs Jesus. All right, next one here, verse 21. The gospel continues to be offered to all, which is God's heart. But concerning Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. He's reaching out to a disobedient people who are pig-headed, who don't want to listen. But that's God. He just keeps reaching out. He, he keeps extending His grace. He keeps saying, I love you, even though they don't want to hear it, even though they're obstinate. Proverbs eighteen nineteen in the New Living Translation reads, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate close friends like a gate locked with bars. So what's the point? Um, Don't try to change your lifestyle. Don't try to go in there and give them a list of stuff that has to be changed before they can trust God and love God. Don't try to make them just like you. Because that, quite simply, is not the point. Our job's not to fix them. Our job's to love them. Um, you know, there's an old saying that talks, you know, Jesus said, uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Well, you know, and so someone come up with this saying and says, you catch them, I'll clean them. You know, it's God's job to change us. <laughs> it's God's job to, to work on our behavior. I mean, imagine you're in an emergency room and someone comes in and they've been in this horrible accident. And man, I mean, they're just covered with blood. and I mean, it's just really bad. And the surgeon says, well, that person's disgusting. I refuse to work on that person, to operate on that person until you clean them up. Until you get all that blood and gook off of their body. I'm not touching it. No way. The surgeon sees the state of the person whose body is is broken and bloody and and gets to work in order to save that person's life. And that's the heart God gives to us. We don't go in there and say, you do this or I'll never talk to you. No. You you love them. Look Look as he starts out here in chapter 10. You know, look at Paul. Brothers, my heart's desire... In prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Paul has a burden for them. He, he's praying for them. Verse 2, he says, I can testify about them. They're zealous for God, but their zeal's not based on knowledge. Hey, you know, they're religious people, but they're missing the point. They're missing the good news that God did the work. And he did it at a place called Calvary through his son, Jesus Christ. 
He says, uh, they have issues there. Look at verse 3. He says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. They did not subject, subject themselves to God. They did not bow to the purchase that was at Calvary. Um, you try to convince a religious person they need a Savior, it's tough. Often, religious people, moral people, are the hardest to reach because they're not looking up. They're looking side to side, and they're looking ahead, and they're looking back, and they're saying, oh, that person doesn't have it together. I'm better than that person in this area. Notice verse 4, as Paul shares, he says, Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. He says the way is not to look side to side and front and back. You've got to look up. He said the measuring stick is Jesus. It is God. It is not one another. That's not the measuring stick. Christ is the one who is the culmination or the end of the law that there might be righteousness. He's the one who brings it together. Made me think of that awesome hymn. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. His focus turns from the Jew to all lost people. Um, look at verses 8 through 10 there. As we see his change of focus from the Jew to, to all lost. What's it say? The words near you. In your mouth. In your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it's with your mouth that you confess. And you are saved. It's declared in verse 8. The words near you. You're in the word. The word's been proclaimed. He said it's what we are proclaiming. It, it is the message that we're getting out there. And then... It tells us, uh, verse 8, then to verse 9, it's, it's got to be appropriated, not just declared. Uh, it's got to be received. You, you confess it with your mouth. You believe it in your heart, and, and then it becomes real. And notice what he says. Um, as you're saved, uh, it's by confessing. It's by believing. It's a gift. It's not a wage. Don't forget that. He provided a righteousness we don't have. He paid what we couldn't pay, even though he didn't know it. He, he is the one who exchanged out of his incalculable riches what we in our poverty could not possibly pay for our sin. Our sin. Because the offer is universal, everyone's responsible. Uh, look at verses 11. Through 13. Notice there's no distinction here. Uh, it involves all of us. And it, it, it's the same for all of us. No exceptions. As the scripture says. Anyone. Anyone. Okay. That's what it says. Who trusts in him will never be put to shame. No regrets coming to Jesus guys. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all. And richly blesses all who call on him doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter our differences. What matters is Jesus. 
For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see, you're a believer by calling on the name of the Lord and by receiving the revelation that He's made known in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You don't come to Jesus just because you hang out with other Christians. You don't come to Jesus because you learn songs that we sing or even that you get some of this religious talk down. That we have in churches. Some of these words you don't use anywhere but in church gatherings. That's not what makes you a Christian. Being close to a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is receiving Jesus. And the message of Christ. And, 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 and believing with true heart that God I need you. And you died for me. Enter my life. Enter my heart. Make me new. That's, that's what makes the difference. Alright. Um, because rejection... It's predictable the unsaved are responsible. Look at verses 16 through 20. Not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing. The message is heard through the word of Christ. It's the word of Christ, guys. That's the message. But I ask... Did they not hear? Of course they did. Their voices gone out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Again, I asked, did Israel not understand? First, Moses said, I'll make you envious by those who are not a nation. I'll make you angry by a nation that has no understanding. And Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I revealed myself to those who did not ask. For me. There were those that did not heed the good news. It was the message of Christ, but not everyone received that message. There are many that turned away. There are many, although it breaks our hearts, who simply did not receive the greatest gift. And it's so hard to understand because everything else that we have, we earn. We get a paycheck and... We have to be responsible in so many areas to get something. But with salvation, we don't work for it. We work from it because we receive what we don't deserve. And that makes all the difference. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross of Christ I cling. As the old song says, that's the message. One last one. Um, Because God is faithful, all humanity is continually responsible. Look look there, verse 21. Concerning Israel, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. It's true, we're called to continue to give out the gospel. We're called to continue to love, regardless of if they're lovable or not. To many who are disobedient, who are obstinate. We're called to reach out, to love them, to be patient with them. And this is God's stuff because we don't naturally want to do that. All right, as I close here, a couple of clear truths. Um, What's our responsibility? It's to share, to care, and to pray. I can't save anybody. What I can do is I can pray for them. What I can do is I can love them. And what I can do is I can share with them.
the message that offers hope, which is Jesus Christ. And that's really my responsibility, and that's yours. It's not about how many notches you have in your belt. It's about a heart that loves because you've been loved by God. And then God's responsibility. He saves those who come to Him. He doesn't first meet us and say, well, I'll talk to you after you you stop this and after you quit that or after you start. No, God loves us right where we are. It's His responsibility to save and to transform. And thank goodness His love reaches so deep down. He's not interested in all the junk we've done or all the junk we're doing. He just wants the love to be known. You know, we talked about it recently, but I've always loved that picture of that Jesus tells in the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. Matter of fact, I was listening over and over again to this song uh, this morning called the Prodigal Song, and it's talking about a guy who uh, his family's fighting, and the youngest son drifts away and he leaves home, and it's just based on that story and how the father. It says in the chorus, the father's watching and the father's waiting and the father's hoping with eyes that are weary but arms still wide open and then i thought of the the parable as as the as the father he waited for the son and he saw him in the distance and he took off running (laughs) and he embraced him and it made me think of an old benny hester song i listened to that too guys and this morning, as I thought of it, and in the old Benny Hester song, it talks about God is sovereign, God is all powerful, He's mighty warrior, and the only time I ever saw Him run was when He ran to me, and He held me in His arms, and He said, "My child, man, that's what He offers here." And as we come to this, maybe you've heard His voice, maybe it's been revealed to you, and He says, "Hey, receive it." Because I love you. That's, we call it invitation response. Maybe for whatever reason, the message just never clicked and this morning it has. And you say, God, I, you ran to me. I, I, need to, oh, I need to hug back. We have an altar that's open. I don't know what people are going through. Um, we all have our difficulties, don't we? But we have a God who hasn't forgotten us. Maybe this, you need to come to the altar and pray. Uh, maybe to share something else with the body of Christ that's here. Let's just obey. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on anybody. Our little minds, certainly, there's a lot we don't understand. But one thing we do understand Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found, was blind, now I see. That's because of you. I pray this morning. Do your work, God, as we stand, as we sing. Um, What do you want? To come to an altar? To make a decision right where we are? To share with your people? I don't know. I just ask that we would listen to you and that the result 
would glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.